All right, we'll begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with our hymn of the month. We give thee but thine own. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. May we thy bounties thus as stewards true receive. And gladly hast thou blessest us to thee our first fruits give. O hearts are bruised and dead, and homes are bare and cold. And lambs for whom the shepherd bled are straying from the fold. To comfort and to bless, to find a balm for woe, to tend the lone and fatherless is angels' work below. The captive to release, to God the lost to bring, to teach the way of life and peace, it is a Christ-like thing. And we believe thy word, though dim our faith may be. Whatever thine we do, O Lord, we do it unto thee. All right, we'll continue with the catechism memory work. Which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? And the Bible memory work. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32, 5. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil. All my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. um, Boys, you can go off to Sunday school if you want. Or you can stay here. Um, On the uh, hymn of the month, again, it's a stewardship hymn. 
Um, we're, we're treating se- se- uh, September, excuse me, kept on to say Sunday, September, as our kind of stewardship month, if you will. Um, I think uh, next week I'll hand out pledge cards. I'm not telling anyone exactly what I'm going to do because, you know, I like to keep everyone guessing. So um, we'll, we'll hand out pledge cards sometime this month. And uh, But we're talking about it every week. And um, uh, first of all, by the way, the uh, in the September Messenger, unfortunately, Stelvin got a printed hard copy because of the printer situation. But um, if you download it in the link I sent via email, then you can... Um, yeah, there should be a... Eric, I think Rebecca's in the nursery. Oh, okay. Esther had a issue, so yeah, you can check with her on what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Um, anyhow, what was I talking about? Stewardship. Oh, the messenger. There's a Bible study in the September messenger for stewardship that you can do on your own. So I really highly encourage everyone to do that. Um, you can download that from the link in the email. I think the link has been in the last couple of emails, so hopefully you can find it pretty easy. Anyway, next week, even if I have to get them printed somewhere else, I think I'll try and make sure we have that, um, the hard copies available for people so they can have that Bible study. Um, but anyway, as, the, as far as the hymn, <coughs> excuse me, as far as the hymn goes, um, I think those uh, last last week we talked about the like third and fourth stanzas. Um, the first two stanzas we give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. O trust the Lord from thee. May we thy bounties thus as stewards true receive, and gladly as thou blessest us to thee our first fruits give. That's a really great summary, if you will, of stewardship. Right. The first premise is that everything belongs to God. Right. Everything that he that we have has has been given by by him. We give thee but thine own. Um, the second thing is whatever the gift may be. Right. So this is New Testament stewardship, uh, meaning there's not a law as to how much or when certain things are given. Right. Whether it's time or talent or treasures um, there's no condemnation on the basis of whatever the gift is. And yet we give, right? We give freely. Um, we give because we want to give. All that we have is thine alone. We already kind of covered that. A trust, O Lord, from thee. Um, and I, I like that language, too, of the trust, that the Lord has entrusted us to be his stewards. He has entrusted to us great treasures, Right, and you can think of um, while there while there is not condemnation for whatever the gift is, right? There is a trust involved. So what does Jesus say? Right, he says, "To whom much is given, much will be required." Right, and so if we've been given much, we are required, we're trusted to steward much, right? And then may may we thy bounties thus, and again, notice um, there that it's bounties, right? We have so much that we've been given. Even if we have very little in terms of wealth, we still have so much that we've been given. Our time, our, our, uh, our treasures, our talents. As stewards true receive, and gladly as thou blessest us to thee our first fruits give, right? And this idea of first fruits... Um, is very important in the Bible stewardship-wise, right? What was what was the difference between Cain and Abel's gifts? Yeah, one was his best. Right, uh, Cain gave the leftovers. Abel gave the first fruits, right? And and why does God get the first fruits? Because He's the one to whom everything belongs, right? He's the one who we have to thank for everything, right? Um, we, as if you if if you imagine right that 
this idea of steward, right? So you have a manager that owns everything, and then you have a steward who stewards it out, right? So maybe the most modern example of this is like the financial advisor, right? That people give their money to a financial advisor to invest for them, right? Well, if the financial advisor makes money, who do the first profits go to? To the guy who gave him the money to invest, right? Not he doesn't take it out out his share first, right? He gives the share that belongs to the master first. He gives the share that belongs to the manager first. And so God is our master, right? And we're his stewards. And so whenever we steward the things he's given us for, he gets the first fruits, right? Um, so that's one way to think about that. All right. And then uh, next week, we'll probably talk about uh, the fifth and sixth stanzas. So we'll leave that there. Any any questions on uh, stewardship or on, on that hymn? All right. And then in the catechism memory work... Um, so remember this is in the context, uh, the question is just which are these? You have to remember what comes before it. Um, the last question that Luther asked, this was in the confession and absolution section of the catechism. He says, uh, uh, what sin should we confess? And then he goes on to say, before God, we should confess all the sins, even those we are unaware of as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Okay, and then he says, "Which are these?" Okay, so which sins do we know and feel in our hearts? Which sins um, do we need to make sure that we make an effort to uh, specifically repent of? That's what Luther's asking here, and this is one of my favorite questions and answers in the small catechism because I think it's kind of genius what he does. He says, consider your place in life, right? That would be vocation, right? Your vocation, talk about what that means in a second, and the Ten Commandments. Okay, so a vocation, the word vocation in, in Latin, or vocatio, just means calling. So what has God called you to? And you can remember the table of duties in the small catechism. We get a list of things that God calls us to, right? You have things like pastor, church member, uh, father or mother, son, daughter, husband, wife. Employer, employee, you can go on and on, citizen, governor, and I mean that in a very general sense, so, uh, you know, some sort of civil leader, whatever that, that looks like, right? You can go on and on. These are all things that God has called us to, right? And if you think about all these things, these are things that God institutes in society, in the world, right? God institutes the church to have pastors and to have members. He institutes marriages to have uh, fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and sons and daughters. He institutes families to be in a certain order. He institutes uh, the, the, the government and, and citizenship uh, to be in a certain order, right? That's Romans 13. Um, he, he talks a lot about employer and employee and um, in the, you know, in the ninth and 10th commandment or in, um, or in the 10th commandment, especially in, in um, elsewhere in the scriptures that uh, how, uh, specifically in the Bible, how masters and slaves are supposed to interact. But I mean, really the modern day corollary to that is is employers and employees, right? How to, how to, someone who pays someone and then someone who works for someone else, how do they interact, right? These are things that God has instituted. And so he's called us to these different things in life. Okay, so pick which ones of these uh, match your life, right? And then look at the Ten Commandments, right? Think about things like 
idolatry in the first commandment or holy living in the second commandment or devotional uh, devotion and faithfulness in the third commandment or uh, the ordered, especially with, with these, the ordered relationships in the fourth commandment and so on and so forth. Um, you know, uh, he brings up in his examples uh, the seventh commandment, stealing, right? So, and then start to compare these things, okay? So, uh, as a father, have I uh, led my family in uh, devotion to the Lord and, and have I taught them God's word, right? As a husband, have I... Uh, stolen from my wife by not giving her the time that our relationship deserves, right? Or as an employee, have I stolen from my employer by being lazy on the job, right? Um, as uh, you can pick any of these, right? But start to compare these different things. Um, and this is what Luther does. He just starts to ask these questions, right? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy in any of your vocations? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? That'd be the fifth commandment. Have you hurt any someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted, done any harm? And what this will do for you is will reveal the specific sins that you struggle with, right? And sometimes, um, as Luther said in the in the last answer to the catechism question, right? Which sins are these? Um, or no, that's this one. Uh, what he said in the last one, we said, what, what sin should we confess? He said, there are sins we don't know of, right? And that's true. There are sins that we don't know of and that we'll probably never remember or think of that we have. But we do want to know the sins that we can know, right? So we can repent of them. And we should take the time in our lives to analyze and to think about and to, to meditate on where we can improve, right? Where we can repent and, and receive the forgiveness of Christ that he wants us to receive, right? We should not remain willfully ignorant when we know that we've done things wrong and we need to repent, right? So um, th this is a good diagnostic tool. Um, so I'll leave that, I'll leave that there, but... Uh, we want to confess, right? And this is why this is why Psalm 32 is important. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, right? We don't want to cover anything up, so we're gonna we're gonna try and figure this out. I will. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, right? The reason we want to find out what sins we have is so we can receive forgiveness, right? So we can be right with the Lord, and we and we can uh, have the comfort that comes from knowing that if we repent, God is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins, right? We don't have to be scared to do this because we know forgiveness is there. We know he's ready at the door. All right. Any uh, questions on any of that, comments? All right. So where did I put my sheet? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, we're going to finish up Isaiah today. We really are, I promise. Um, we're, we're, I said that last week, but then we didn't. But we really are this week. So instead of trying to do any kind of review, we're just going to jump straight in and make sure we have plenty of time. Um, we're finishing up the book of Isaiah. We spent a couple weeks on it. You can go back and listen to the podcast if you want. But we're looking at key passages in Isaiah and the chapters we want to look at today are the last part half of the book. Uh, yeah, feel free to grab Bibles if you need them. Um, the ha last half of the book, we're looking at chapter 53 specifically, and then some of 65 and or 65 and then some of 66, I believe. Okay. Um, so I actually do want. One thing here. Okay. 
I put it somewhere. There we go. Yeah. Okay, that's. I just need that. That's all I need. All right. So, um, if you look in Isaiah chapters 49 through 55, uh, are mostly about this servant. We get introduced to this servant character in chapters 49 through 55. And it's worth reading that whole section, of course, but 53 is the one you know the best. 53 is the Good Friday passage, and um, some of 52 as well. And here we learn very clearly, if we didn't already, that the servant is Jesus. Right? The servant is the Messiah. Jesus Christ. And there's really no doubting that when when you read chapter 53, so we'll, we'll get into that. But we can see how almost how every verse practically lines up. And then that gives us more insight when we go back and read all of 49 through 55 that Isaiah is talking about Jesus here, right? Um, and this is, again, why I, I know I've brought this up a number of times. This is why Luther... I. I believe it was Luther, I think others have too, uh, call Isaiah the fifth gospel, right? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah, right? In some ways, if you you only ever read one Old Testament book, um, Isaiah would not be a bad choice, right? Now, I mean, I think you can say that about other books too. Genesis and Exodus are also pretty important, Um, but uh, really, we should read all of the Old Testament. But... uh, Isaiah is super important, and this section is super important because this is foretelling uh, what Jesus is going to do. And then when Jesus does come, is incarnate, it's incredible, if you think about it, how, how many prophecies he fulfills, right? That um, I, I've heard statistics before. I mean, this is kind of a apologetics point but um depending on how you count them you know there's so many thousands of prophecies about jesus in the old testament and jesus fulfills every single one of them right and how is it possible like what a, what other explanation is there other than that he's he's god right there, there's no explanation i mean not even the most liberal bible scholar in the world thinks that the old testament is newer than jesus Right, and all this was all prophesied before he ever lived, and then and then he comes and he actually fulfills this all. Right. Um, so anyway, I want to start at uh, actually verse 13 of 52. So just a little bit before um, 50, 53, and we want to actually just read. I think all of 53. It's only. Uh, 12 verses, so plus those three is about 15 verses here. Um, but but here, just I just want to start at verse 13 because we get that term, my servant, right? My servant shall deal prudently. Okay, so behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his vis visage visage. Does anyone know? Mine doesn't have that word. Oh, well, that's, yeah, there's the NKJV. <laughs> his uh, I think it's like visage, visage. Yeah, visage was marred. Uh, I think it's his like his like image, his like appearance. 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 Yeah, his. But it could be visage because it could come from vision. Yeah, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Okay, so again, just uh, notice here. Um, that I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. That he will deal prudently. So uh, just remember when Jesus is you know, in his ministry dealing with people. And like when the disciples get upset about something or the crowds get upset about something, um, think about him like at the feeding of the 5,000s, for instance. How does he deal with people? 
right? He deals with them wisely. He deals with them prudently. He gives them uh, what they need. He solves problems, right? Uh, and this, and that's still true for us today, right? He he deals uh, wisely with people, and even when he's not so nice, right? Like even when he's dealing with the Pharisees and he, you know, calls them names and stuff, uh, it's still prudent, right? Because he, he knows exactly what they need to hear, right? He, uh, he'll, he'll stump them with a theological point or question, right, um, in order to shut them up. So um, it's all prudent the way he do, does things. He shall be exalt, exalted and extolled and be very high, which of course is true in his ascension, but that's also true at his crucifixion, right? That he is uh, exalted and extolled and put up high um, in kind of a backwards way, but that is how the Father glorifies his Son. Just as many were astonished at you, so his, we're just going to say appearance, was marred more than any man. Let's talk about the crucifixion, right? He's beat, he's whipped. He's crowned with thorns and his form more than the sons of men. And it's, and particularly note there that it's his form more than the sons of men. So when Jesus takes on human flesh, right, he chooses to take on that form of a servant. That's Philippians 2, right? But he doesn't deserve to humble himself in that way, right? Right? But because he's Jesus, he does not account, count equality with God as something to be grasped. And so he humbles himself um, more than even the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, right? And what, what is the Bible talking about when it's talking about sprinkling? Um, I would say it's talking about the spreading of blood. So... Um, the blood was sprinkled on the people uh, with the hyssop branch, right? And so you get that in Psalm 51. Purify me with hyssop. Um, the blood was sprinkled, and Jesus sprinkles many nations, right? Uh, kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Now, um, we learn in like Psalm 2, that in Psalm 110, that, that Jesus is going, and elsewhere, Philippians as well, even, um, every knee shall bow. That, and uh, as we talked about earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, um, that he's going to be the prince, right? He's going to be the government uh, that has no end. That Jesus is going to be a king that all the other kings of the earth are going to bow to. They're all going to submit to. Right when he returns, he is our, he is already that king, but when when he returns again, all earthly rulers must bow the knee to Jesus, right? Um, but what I think of historically here is Pontius Pilate, right? Pontius Pilate is a governor. He's a he's an earthly king in a sense, a ruler. And what does Jesus essentially do? He shuts his mouth, right? Um, Jesus. Pontius Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus, right? He's utter, he, he, he can recognize that Jesus is powerful and that he has authority and that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but he doesn't know what to, because of political pressure, he, he gives in uh, to what's going on. But you can tell he knows, right? And um, like that line, what they had not heard, they shall consider, right? Okay, now now getting into 53. Who has believed our report, and to who, whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, so remember at the end of chapter 1 in Isaiah, uh, that after Isaiah is called to be the prophet, and... No, it's at the end of chapter 6, excuse me. He's called to be the prophet, and then um, what does the Lord command Isaiah to do? He commands uh, Isaiah to actually hold the people in their sin for the coming judgment. And 
when he describes the coming judgment at the end of chapter 6, he says, but there will be a small remnant left and a, and a stump out of the dry ground will remain. And that's that root of Jesse, right? That's that stump that out of, out of the, the faithful remnant that remains in Jerusalem, after the Babylonian captivity out of Jerusalem, out of the Holy Land, will come the one who will save them. Right? And then here we see that exact same language again. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. Right? So it's putting a person, this servant, to that root that Isaiah has already discussed. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Right? So Jesus is not like a movie star Okay, when he comes to earth. He's humble. He looks meek. He just looks like an average guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the Jim Caviezel when he played Jesus in The Passion of Christ. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, he's a movie star. So he's really too, too pretty, I guess. He yeah, he's probably, he probably is. You know, and, and then, like, when Saul became king, he, he stood head and shoulders above everybody. And, and they, right. Yeah. But notice, so Saul did... But then notice David, one of the things about David that's interesting is they assume David can't be king because he's not the biggest brother, right? He's not the most um, intimidating guy. He is ruddy in appearance, whatever that exactly means. Like he, he's normal looking or he's, you know, yeah, he's not like, he's probably not like ugly, but they just assume like, oh, well, he's just kind of the shepherd boy. Like he's not anything special, right? Um, so it's actually worth, right. I, I think it's actually worth reading um, part of Philippians 2 here. Uh, it keeps coming to my mind. So this is Philippians 2, verse starting at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, right? So he made himself, when he took on human flesh, to be uh, of no reputation, right? And, and again, so it's not like um, it, it's not like he's so uh, meek or so humble that he has a reputation for being like, again, like ugly or just, you know, something's not right with him or something like that. But he he's just of no reputation, right? He's just exactly your average everyday person, right? Um, and in this way, he can relate to everybody, right? It's There's nothing special about him one way or the other. Um, and taking on the form of a servant, a bond servant or a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Okay, so this is... Uh, this is who Jesus is, right? No form or comeliness and that we should he- see him, no beauty that we should des- desire him, right? Just a normal, a normal guy, a meek guy, right? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Okay, so this gets directly into the, into the passion, right, that... Um, at one point, as Jesus is riding into the into Jerusalem, everyone's praising him and singing his praises. But what do they do after he's arrested? Right? What does Peter himself do? He denies that he even knows him. Right? Um, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And notice here how Isaiah puts this in the third person or the first person plural. That um, 
no matter when you're reading this, right, whether it's, you know, 4,000 years later or whether it's um, when he writes this uh, to, to Judah, we're all guilty of this, right? We're all, we're all part of the crowd on Good Friday in this way, right? Um, that we hid our faces from him. We rejected him, right? Um, this, is, this is what sin does is it says, I don't need Jesus. And, and what he did on the cross, that's just gross. That's ugliness. That's nothing that I want anything a part of, right? Um, this is what sin does. And yet, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, right? So despite rejecting him and not esteeming him and hiding our faces from him, he still bears our griefs and he carries our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Right? And this is one of those verses that it's, it's true in two different ways. Right? On the one hand, it's wrong that we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted because he is God, right? and he is righteous, and we should not have esteemed him such. And yet, it's also true that in another sense, he is stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but on our behalf. right? He doesn't deserve it in himself. But God chooses to sacrifice his son so that we can be saved and then to raise him from the dead. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Right. So go back to what we talked about with the catechism. Any sin that you can come up with, that you've ever committed, right? Any transgression, any iniquity, whatever it takes to get peace, that was upon him, right? The punishment, and this is a, this is what we call the atonement, right? The at one meant with God. How do we become at one with God? Well, God has to punish sin because he's righteous. Okay, where does God punish sin? On the cross, right? Um, And unfortunately, there are Christian theologians out there who reject the atonement, who reject the idea that Jesus had to suffer the punishment of sin on the cross. Um, That may sound weird to you, but that is the case, that there are theologians out there who... Um, don't recognize this understanding of the need for the punishment, the need for the wrath of God to be carried out. And the wrath of God is carried out here at the cross. Um, He was crushed. He was bruised. It's chastisement for our peace. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? And this is what we'd also um, point to to say, look, Jesus died for everyone. Not just for Christians. He died for everyone. Right? Uh, For us all. And this is why we must share the gospel. Because even for those who aren't aware of it, and even for those who reject it, Christ's blood was still shed for them, right? And and we must uh, preach that message so that they can come to faith and, and believe it and, and receive it as their own, right? Um, but this is, uh, you know, there are some theologians, again, who, uh, in, in like the Reformed tradition, for instance, that depending on who you talk to, of course, um, deny this idea of what we'd call objective justification that that Christ died for everyone. They would say it's a uh, limited atonement, that Christ only died for those who are going to have faith in him one day. And um, that's a 
that's not how the Bible works, right? That's not how what the Bible preaches. The Bible says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, all of us, the whole world. And that's why we must preach, right? Uh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they have made his grave with the wicked, uh, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Okay, so the first part of that paragraph there is that um, he does not complain. Right? He does not uh, open up his mouth and say, hey, guys, by the way, I'm actually the son of God. You can't do this to me. Right? He willingly does what the Father commands him to do. And this is his active obedience, right? This is his perfect obedience uh, to the Father. And that's part of him fulfilling the law, right? Because why does he have to do this? Because we haven't been obedient and we can't be obedient due to our sin. So he's obedient, right? He opens not his mouth. He doesn't complain or whine or uh, throw a fit, right? He goes like a lamb before the slaughter, a uh, sheep before its shears is silent. Um, I can talk about sheep, but I won't. I won't bore you. I won't bore you with that. Okay. Um, and then this this uh, verse nine is great. It, I think um, the Good Friday readings don't go past eight very much, but um, they made the grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Um, think about when he's buried, right? So and when he dies and when he's buried. Um, First of all, he's hung up between two evildoers on the on the cross, right? He's he's hung up between a thief and a murderer, and um, and so they made his grave with the wicked. But then, who buries him? Do anyone remember? Yeah, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Joseph of Arimathea, and who's Joseph of Arimathea? He's a rich guy, right? Um, him and Nicodemus together bury Jesus and. Uh, Joseph Arimathea gives him his grave, which is a, a good grave, um, and he they anoint him with all these spices, anointments, right? So, um, but with the rich at his death, right? So they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So Joseph and Nicodemus, they recognize his righteousness and the burial that he deserves, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Right? There's that seed language again. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Okay, just one more point here, um, but then we got to get moving to the 65. Um, is that he then shares, Isaiah prophesies that he is going to share what he has won here on the cross with many, right? He's won a spoil by bearing... The chastisement of, of God, he's won a spoil by bearing the iniquities of all, and so he's going to divide the portion with many, with the great. He's going to divide the spoil with the strong, right? He's going to share what he won with the faithful. And notice the difference there, by the way, and th this is a good point for if you're talking to a five-point Calvinist. Uh, the Lord lays the iniquity of us all on him, but then he divides the spoil not with all, right? With many, right? So to actually receive what he has won, one must have faith, right? One must be strong. Um, and I think, that, I think that's what that means. So... Um, uh, so that's the kind of objective and subjective justification, 
right? Objectively, Christ died for all. Subjectively, to have that applied to you, you must grasp it by faith, right? We're saved by faith alone. All right. Um, so that's 53. Any questions on that? Yeah, yeah Steve. The last section tears down the universalism that a lot of people believe. I mean, you, it says right there you have to have faith. Right. So it's not like all of them say. Right, exactly. All right, so um, let's go to 65 and 66. So these are the last two chapters in the book. And um, we're actually going to start in the middle of 65. Uh, what we really want to talk about is the new creation. Okay, so we're going to look at verse 17. Um, so Isaiah is brilliant, right? Because Isaiah starts talking about Judah, Sodom, and Gomorrah. He starts basically way back in Genesis. And then he ends talking about the new heavens and the new earth, which is revelation, right? So um, Isaiah is great in this way that he, Isaiah is a, in one sense, a summary of the whole Bible, right? We get from Genesis, we get judgment um, and, and sin and captivity and then freedom from captivity uh, brought back by the blood of Christ, the suffering servant, and then looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Right, we get the whole Bible in the book of Isaiah. So it's fantastic. All right, so uh, verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. A voice of weeping shall no longer be heard, nor the voice of crying. Okay, so the God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, right? What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the heavens in the in Bible, so we use the term heaven to talk about when someone dies, where do they go to be with Jesus? But in the Bible, heavens more often is not that. It's basically the stuff above the earth, right? The Above the firmament, right? The stuff out there, the, the sky, the universe, right? So... Um, this is part of God's original creation is in the beginning there was nothing, right? And God creates out of nothing. There's nothing except for God himself. God creates out of nothing. He creates the heaven and the earth. Now he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, right? The first heavens and the first earth have been corrupted by sin. He took care of the sin problem. Now he's going to finally take care of the final problem. He's going to defeat death forever and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, right? And um, this is important, too, just uh, by way of reminder. I know I've talked about this many times before, but um, when people... So when Jesus comes back again, um, we're not going to go to some distant heaven, right, up in the sky where we're going to be angels, right? That's kind of the popular notion. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be reunited with our bodies god's going to raise our bodies from the dead right he raises the dead that's what jesus does he raises the dead um you can think of like ezekiel 38 valley of dry bones right he he puts he reinfleshes our bodies and he puts our souls back with our bodies but our bodies are made perfect this is also in first corinthians 15 our bodies are made perfect and then we get to be in the new heavens and the new earth Right, which means we get to be on a new physical earth. Right, we're not just kind of floating around. Right, um, and this new creation will be perfect. Right, um, it will be not. It, it'll be like the Garden of Eden, but better. Right, we we can't even imagine what it'll be like. Um, but we can say it'll be real. Right, I think um, when sometimes when people think about heaven, it's like oh everything's gonna be perfect and we're just gonna be floating around. Um, to me, it that that almost sounds kind of boring, right? It's like you're just kind of there, existing. Um, but no, we're actually going to be real humans, right? We're created as humans. We're going to be humans, risen from the dead, never to die again, right? We're going to be immortal. We're never going to die, and we won't have any sickness or death or any corruption. Um, but we will be here, right? We'll be on a recreated Earth, right? And and will be it'll be physical and it'll be real and it'll we'll have good work to do and we'll have uh, we'll be praising the Lord and it'll it'll be wonderful, 
right? Okay. Um, the old, the former shall not be remembered to come to mind. For behold, I created Jerusalem as rejoicing. Um, and, and so notice here, the weeping's gone. The rejoicing is there. All right, I'm at time. Um, let me just point out one more thing here because I don't want to have to come back to Isaiah. Is that if you keep reading 65 and 66, um, of course there's tons about the beauty of the new creation. We could talk about that forever. There is also lots of verses, and in fact, um, the very end of 66 ends. So I'll just read the very last verse of Isaiah 66:24. Um, there is still judgment, right? That at the end of the world, when Jesus comes back again, yes, there's going to be new heavens and new earth for those who are faithful, but there's also judgment for those who are not, right? There, there will be those who are judged unrighteous that go to hell. And Isaiah is not shy about that when he talks about the end of the world in 65 and 66. So this is the last verse of Isaiah. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. The end, <laughs> right? Um, he doesn't end on a happy note. He ends on this note that there is a final judgment, right? Now, for those who are faithful, that's a wonderful thing. For those who are not, that's the most treacherous day of their lives. All right. On, and on that note, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this day. We pray that you'll bless our worship together in spirit and in truth. And we pray that you would uh, bless the preaching of your word to the edification of those who hear. We pray all this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.